0: in 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, this is a message that I think that we should uh, have some clarity about, and I think that in the culture that we're in today, uh, there's a problem with um, tranquility and being uh, tranquil about what's going on in this life. And so in 1 Timothy, Paul talks to Timothy about how the believers ought to carry themselves In this life. Now, notice he gives uh, some things concerning communication, and then he's going to drop down and he's going to uh, tell the reason for this communication on behalf of all men. And he starts with chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And so the, in, the, <laughs> the purpose for why the believer is here, and so we, we don't always have an appreciation for it. And I, you hear people in the, people in the unsafe world are trying to figure out what life is about. You and I as believers ought not to be trying to figure out what life is about. There's a purpose for why we're here. And I think when you lose track of that and you don't understand track of that, uh, then you lose track of, uh, you end up in an aimless situation. And I think that that's where a lot of believers are. And so you got believers who believe that the whole purpose of what we're here for is to evangelize. They believe the whole purpose of what we're here for is to do good deeds or to do this. And you just see believers just aimless. And they're just doing a lot of things and doing nothing at the same time. And so here Paul is giving a backdrop to the church about, uh, to Timothy, about how the church is to carry themselves. And so he starts off with communication. And so you know that Dan did an excellent job of going through these various forms of communication with God. If you uh, saw the uh, Bible Institute last spring, and so you have several different forms here, there's two different places you can find. The different forms of communication, I think they cover just about all of them except for vow. And so you have it here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, you have uh, supplications, anybody remember what supplications are? Right on behalf of someone else or known requests. Um, is that correct? It may not be wrong, but... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so supplications is a cry for help, right? You don't don't know the known need. There's not anything known, and so somebody comes to mind, and I've found in a lot of situations that this happens. Somebody, the Lord brings, the Holy Spirit brings somebody to mind, and has it happened to you? And I see, it's just out of the clear blue sky. And it's just interesting how many times that that person (coughs) comes to mind. I come to find out later something was going on with them. So the Holy Spirit brings it to mind, and you say, God, help him. Right? Supplication. I don't know what's going on in the situation. Just to cry for help. And then you have prayers, which is the um, actually is the word for uh, worship. And worship is, as we understand it from scriptures, you're saying back to God what he has said about himself. And I think worship is a bigger form of communication. So I can worship God, and I can worship God over a course of time. And in that worship... <clears throat> I can use other forms of communicating to him. So as I'm worshiping to God, there may come the opportunity to say, God, oh, Calvin. Calvin comes to mind. God, help him. Something's happening there with him. I don't know what it is. Help him. Right? And so you have that. And then he says intercessions. And so now that's you are interceding to God for a known need. God, Cindy's uh, surgery is coming up here. Could you work out the details Amen. that it goes right with her, right? All of this could happen as I'm worshiping God. Uh, then you have uh, the giving of thanks, and so, um, and so, this you're thanking God for a known need, and so you see God provides uh, sunshine today. Thank you, Father. The difference between thanksgiving and praise would be what? Out of Hebrews, now Dan, you're not going to answer this. <laughs> so praise, uh, correct. Great, Wendy. So praise is taking what God, a thing that God has given, and you're attaching His character to it. So now it's not just me saying, thank you, God, for the sunshine. I'm saying, thank you, God, for the sunshine because you're a good God, and out of your goodness you provided that. Then that's praise, according to Scripture, as we see it in Hebrews chapter 13. And then, um, and so you have these, and I just love here. me and Dan started looking at this, because you have the pair preposition. And I, I just think this is fascinating that he uses it here. And so why does he say this, that supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for, I would say, as a substitute for all men? Now, the question comes as to whether, you know, God uh, hears the, the prayers of the unsaved man. Now, I don't think he does. I don't think he hears the prayers of a carnal believer. <laughs> well, we can see in First Peter that, well, just turn over to First Peter. First Peter chapter 3, that you know, the prayers of a believer can be hindered if he is in a wrong relationship with his spouse, right? So if that's going to be the case, you think he's going to hear the prayers of an unsafe man? right? And so notice in First Peter chapter three, um, this is a really fascinating scripture here. We won't get into a lot of it, but I think there's a lot in this chapter. Oh, there's a lot in this chapter. And so notice what he says here in First Peter chapter three. He starts off, and we won't go through all of it, but just to give you some background, here you have, he's <laughs> instructing these believers who are um, in uh, running from uh, the persecution going on in Rome and how the wives are to uh, comport themselves, to use a danism, uh, concerning their, their husbands who don't believe. And so the uh, propensity of women during that day to um, and you can see it even in the American culture today, to try to comport yourself in such a way as to focus on the outward exterior, that that's what is the focus. And he says in verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Now, I just want to point out here, it's interesting, this word that we're going to be looking at and, and First Timothy is this word, and you see it here again, heskeuion, and it actually has the ideal of to cease and desist. So someone that is tranquil is not fighting. There's a cease and desisting of behavior, and so notice you see it here. He says, and that word meek actually is uh, the ideal of a um, a focused uh, purpose or attention. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in which is not corruptible corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is a great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their very own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, I've tried to get my wife to do that, and it hasn't (laughs) happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, but uh, we move on. Whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with amazement. Likewise, you husbands dwell together with your wives, and this is a very important thing here. It says uh, soon or keo, or keo is to settle down and feel at ease, right? And then this soon preposition is. Uh, makes it really more intimate that you're in this thing together. There's a togetherness in which there is um, an intimate togetherness when you're both settled down and feeling at ease together. According to knowledge. Now, there's a lot here, and we won't won't deal with this. Uh, It's just a loaded verse here. And you have gnosko. It's experiential knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife as unto a weaker vessel. As being heirs together of the grace of life, and notice here, that your prayers or your worships be not hindered. Your worship be not hindered. And the propensity there that there is uh, some um, a monkey wrench can be thrown into the communication that the man has uh, as a result of this. And so I do believe, so this is going back to this point that we're trying to make. Why does he use the word for all men? Now, I think, as a substitute for all men, is how I would translate that. For kings, for all that are in authority, there's a substitution that is made, or a prayer that is made on behalf of all men. Now, the question is, when we communicate for government leaders, are we doing it for them? Are we doing it for us? Well, I do think that there's, uh, you know, that God has a plan and purpose. And when we when we communicate, we are participating in Him, with Him, and what we're doing. But I really think here, there's a little bit more of a uh, focus on the believer. That when the believer is communicating on behalf of those who are in authority, notice what he says, because he, he comes down and he uses the word in verse 2, he uses um, a henna clause, and I believe here it's a purpose. He gives a purpose for why this is done. The purpose. For, our, really, you could say, for the purpose that. Uh, for kings and all in authority, that, or it's actually that, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, that is actually translating the henna clause, for the purpose that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This raises a lot of questions here. And so you have this issue here of um, quiet. Uh, it's really that word. They've got it switched around here. The skuion is not the word translated "quiet" here. It's actually the word uh, "peaceable." The word "quiet" uh, uh, that is actually the, an ordinary. I would translate that more ordinary. That we might live an ordinary and tr- I would to translate that actually tranquil life. Tranquil life, in all honesty. Now he's going he's going to make some points here that I think are very important here. The believer, you and I, should not be out of control even when the world is out of control. Think about it. You and I have more at our disposal than the unsaved man could ever think about. Right? And so this word, what we want to focus in on here is this word for tranquil. Tranquil. And so the word tranquil here is to decease and desist from outward disturbance. Outward disturbance. Now he's going to go on and he's going to say uh, from this and we'll, we'll see it. I don't think we might be able to get to it, but we'll fo- we're going to focus on this word for tranquil. In all godliness, with all qualities of godliness, and notice what he says here, they translated honesty. It's actually they really miss a lot with translating this word honesty. It's actually the word gravity. Back some years ago, they were, when George Bush was running for office, they said he didn't have the gravitas. I don't know if you remember that gravitas means that there's something <clears throat> there's something about you there's a weight. That, you, that is carried about you, that, peop- that causes people to see you in a very distinct manner, right? Well, this word actually comes from the classical Greek. It doesn't, it's not used a lot in uh, the New Testament. It comes out of the classical Greek, and it was used of the Greek gods. And it was said that the Greek gods were above all. And that's how people saw them, as being above it all. And so this what we're going to see is this tranquility, this tranquil life causes the believer to be seen in this life as above it all. When we are not living out this grace life and living in our position, so that is lived out in our life. People out in the world don't see it any different than us, than they <coughs> see in themselves. Right? What strikes me today is the fear that is being driven into people. What strikes me even more is the fear I see in believers. That strikes me. It really does. And then you ask yourself, how different are we than the world? What are they seeing any different? Notice here. First Thessalonians, chapter four. First Thessalonians, chapter four. Now, Paul is talking to the Thessalonians. The the church of Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church was a great church. But, you know, we all have problems and there's no church. I don't care how great the church is, that uh, there are still problems in every church. And you're not going to find a, a perfect church. If you, you find a perfect church, then I know it's still not going to be perfect because you're there. <laughs> 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 so it's obviously not going to be perfect. <laughs> and so there are no perfect churches. And you can see this with the Thessalonian church. And so what, what was happening here is you had these believers who said that the rapture, Uh, they would believe, well, the rapture is coming. We're just going to sit up and we're going to wait for the Lord to return. Sold everything they had. They're waiting for the Lord to return. They're mooching off of other believers. And so they were being lazy. And so Paul wrote these believers and uh, wrote, and one of the things that he uh, pointed out was, and he talks about this actually a couple of times here and also in the second epistle that he wrote to them, that this was an issue. And so notice he says in verse nine of Thessalonians chapter four, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are God taught, really it's God taught, to love one another. And so here he goes from phileo, there was fondness that they had toward each other, um, but they also, the agape was in evidence as well. Verse 10, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren. Notice again here, we we continue to emphasize toward the brethren. Love is toward the brethren. Now, if you say this to everybody, you are making the unsafe man your brethren. And the moment you do that, you agree then with the universalist. The universalist has a doctrine that perpetuates that there's the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. You do that and your theology is going to go south. And there's a lot of people who are believing that and it's just, it's utter nonsense. And so notice he says, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in uh, all of Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And here's our word here. And that you study to be quiet, to cease and desist from agitation. Do you know Christendom? Is working believers up into a frenzy you can take a good thing and you can make it bad I'm very (laughs) careful of what it's funny the whole thing with politics both from a liberal point of view and a conservative point of view they're all intermingled with a lot of Christendom and Christendom can take you and guide you in a direction and whip you up into a frenzy where you are actually moved away from what Scripture says about a lot of things. And you could see that in so many ways, and you could see believers, the moment you leave your understanding of truth from Scripture, you're going to get yourself on an island where you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so here, this idea of to study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we've communicated to you. What a novel idea that people ought to work. Oh, but no, you just don't understand their situation. Right? Isn't that where we are today? Among the unsaved. Oh, you don't understand. Look at my background. I've had it bad. Well, work. I told someone one time, you hear those growling sounds in your stomach? (laughs) It's the sign of the fact you ought to work. You ought to work. And, oh, that's just mean. That's just, you're just mean-spirited. No. It's the answer to poverty in this world. It really is. And Paul goes on to say it in 2 Thessalonians, if a man doesn't work, he ought not to eat. That's a fact. That's a fact. And so notice this, to be quiet This idea to do your own business is to practice your very own things pertaining to your family members. Take care of your family. You want to know something that characterizes the problems going on in this society today? It's the breakdown of the family structure, right? And people not taking care of their family members. So a lot of the ones, and you see over in First Timothy as the parents get older, the Kids have a responsibility to their parents. It's not the government's responsibility to take care of your parents. You realize that? If you're a believer, it's not the government's responsibility to take care of your parents. If you're a believer, you're it's your responsibility. And so uh, we don't always believe that. And to, he, to work f- with your own hands, to provide for yourself, provide for your very own self... Um, And notice he goes on to say that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. And so this uh, what are we doing here? I really think a lot of what the believer is doing and you see it over and over and over again, is that we come to church to be built up and to build (laughs) each other up so that when we go out into the world, We're an an example to the world of how we live, how life works. They can see life, supposed to be seeing life, as it's lived out in us. Right? As I take care of my own business, as I take care of my own family, as I allow God's quality of life to be seen out in me. Oh, no. But we've turned it backwards. I don't have to actually do it. I can put a bumper sticker on my car that talks about it. That does it, right? I don't have to do it. All I have to do is wear a cross. Well, that signifies that I'm a Christian. Or, why don't I just get a collar as a priest? Right? That ought to do it. Or put on the back of my car, clergy, I can get some free parking places. Right? Right? (laughs) Down <laughs> right, that I can speed, way. give me an opportunity to speed right past people, right? It's not about how I live, it's the symbolization of life, right? And this is what, this is not what God wants, it's not what He wants. And so you see it here that you might walk peripateto. And we've done studies on this, this idea of taking steps, and it looks at how you're making decisions from day to day and how you're directing your life. And that word, um, honestly, um, is having a good, it's actually an interesting word, it's actually you schema so you have a couple of words in the in the greek that deals with appearance and so you have morphe which actually deals with the fact that there's something on the inside and you can see it bubbling up on the outside and the schema is just looking at the outward appearance of what strikes the eye what people see so again a lot of what is happening here and we can just spend time uh, uh, on this over and over and over again is what are people seeing? What kind of witness are they seeing? Right? And most of the time, I'm of the opinion, I really think most people, they, can, they know who people are. If you were to go into any setting that where people meet on a consistent basis and ask them about people, they've already in their mind come to a conclusion about people based upon how they've seen them act. Right? We know that from TV reports, right? When something tragic happens in a neighborhood and they go to the next door neighbor, well, did you think this person would ever have done that? Right? And they can tell you all that they've seen about this person that they've seen over the course of time. But do you know people can see that in you? They may never say anything to you. But they're taking account of your character. As they see it manifested in your behavior, and this idea of this honestly, a good outward fashion, an outward uh, uh, fashion that has a good appearance. It's actually it's a compound word there, and so when it's translated it honestly, and notice, here's the thing, toward them that are without. We cannot escape the fact that as we're built up, the whole purpose of us being built up is that we're a testimony, a witness toward the unsaved man. I really, the more I see it, the more I wonder how much is the unbeliever affected by this versus what they see. I think a lot more is this. It's what they see. They're affected more by what they see than what they hear. So we try to do it with this, right? We try, oh, I'm a, I'm a believer, and look at what I do. This stuff doesn't bother me. And then we just talk, 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 and we say a lot of stuff, and the unsafe people are watching, and they're thinking, huh, I don't believe any of that. I don't believe a word of it. Because they don't see it lived out in real time. And so notice, this those without. Here we have some distinctions that is made here, and, and I like to go through... Every time we get to this word and show you that there's a distinction between believers and unbelievers because the church today doesn't believe that. The church has the premise that everybody comes into the church and everybody's a believer. Not true. Not true. Scripture makes a distinction between those who are inside and those who are on the outside. We're here. Let's look at it. Look at 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12 through 13. Now, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you see Paul makes a distinction, clear distinction between the believer and the unbeliever, how you relate to the believer versus how you relate to the unbeliever. Notice in verse um, 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, if he's talking about, and everybody's on the same level, and he's talking about everybody, and and it's all the fornicators inside and outside the church, What are you going to do? How are you not going to associate with fornicators? You're going to have to quit your job. You go to the next job. There are fornicators on that job. You're going to have to quit that job. There's fornicators on the next job you go to. Where are you going to go? (laughs) Notice he says, yet, verse 10, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, Or with the covetous or the extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must need go out of the world. It will be necessary that you leave the world. If you're going to not associate with people who are doing these horrible behaviors from the sin nature, where are you going to go? You know, back in the Middle Ages, the the monks went into the monastery. They said, we're going to escape all of this. And they didn't know that their sin natures went right in there with them. Right? You can't escape from it. And so, notice he says, but now I've written unto you to keep company, not to keep company if a man is called a brother. You see? And he be a fornicator, a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. With such a one, no, not eat. If a person is called a believer... Now, notice he's going to make a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. For what have I to do to judge them with that also, excuse me, to judge them also that are without or really on the outside? See, the unbeliever uh, in the early church was seen as being on the outside of the church, not inside the church. This is a modern day occurrence that people expect that the unsafe person is supposed to be a part of the church. This is not the expectation. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he used a third-class condition and said, if an unbeliever were to come into the church, right, wouldn't he think you've all gone mad because you're running around speaking in tongues? It was not. It was not an acceptable thing That the unbeliever was a part of the church. This has been a modern day uh, uh, um, mindset that has occurred. And so he says, do you not judge those that are within? Notice the distinction. Those who are without, those who are within. Big difference. Notice you see it again in Colossians 4 5. We won't belabor the point, but we, we do want to make this point here. Colossians 4, and notice in verse 5. Now notice what he says here to the believers in Colossae. Walk in wisdom toward them, notice, that are without. Are those who are on the outside. The Outsiders. You now that was a movie that came uh, up some years ago called The Outsiders. You remember that? Yeah, it was actually filmed in Tulsa. <laughs> the Outsiders. Yeah, cool movie. Not because it was filmed in Tulsa though. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a walk in the wisdom, so you carry your and conduct your life where you are you're, uh, careful as to how you apply what you know towards those who are on the outside. You see, there's a distinction that God makes between the outsiders, those who are unbelievers and those who are inside the church. I don't care how much the church refuses to make that distinction. Scripture makes it. Scripture makes it. And we have more context that you can see that in. And so we the whole purpose of having this quiet and peaceable life that we might have a good outward appearance toward those on the outside. And the thing is, is that you, you can't fake it. You can't fake it. It comes as a result of genuinely understanding who you are in Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce God's life in you. And I believe the result of it is that you will conduct your life in such a way that you would live out this quiet and peaceable life. And so let's turn back over to 1 Timothy, if you would, in chapter 2. <clears throat> in verse 3, notice what he says. Now, he's going to say you have, um, uh, in verse 3, it's actually, <laughs> as he you see it in the original, he says, see that word, this, really it's this thing. Now, I think it goes back to this this quiet and ordinary life. is uh, is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Notice who will have or who desires that all men be saved and come into a, a full experiential knowledge uh, of truth not the truth but of truth and so god desires all men to be saved but we know all men are not going to be saved but he desires that all men be saved now i he's connecting this, this these people to talk about evangelism i have become convinced that most of people in christendom have no idea what evangelism is they really don't first of all one of the things that you see that is not mentioned when you talk about evangelism is the person that has the gift of evangelism. Have you ever heard anybody talk about that guy? Or girl? You don't see that mentioned at all. <coughs> Yet, there's a person that has the gift of evangelism. And the way that this shapes out is the person that has a gift of evangelism can go to anyone on the outside and talk to them about the gospel. Cold turkey, they don't have to know the person. You see? You and I... God is using us in the way that we live our lives. It sparks the opportunity to be able to give the good news about why we live the way we live. And so we try to short-circuit it by just trying to talk about it. But, you know, I think the unsaved people are wired in such a way where it's not what we say, it's what they see. 1 Peter 3, you set aside Jesus as Lord in your heart. Always be willing to give, what? Apologetics? I think Dan's going to talk about that today. A reasoned defense for the hope that lies within you. And notice, I, I just can't escape, and I think, Dan, you might deal with this today, the idea that the one who asks you, the specific one asking you, and most of the time, we, we like to talk and there's nobody doing the asking. <laughs> really, honestly. We go, we go and we talk to places where nobody, nobody's asked a question. <laughs> I'm not really looking for it, right? But do you know when they see it in your life, there's the chance and the opportunity for that to come up? Don't worry. Dr. Schaefer used to say all the time, He had this immortal statement, and I hear it ringing in my ear as we speak today. Live it, don't lip it. Live it, don't lip it. Much better. For it to be seen in my life, and the way I relate to my wife, and the way I relate to my kids, and the way I relate to you, in the way I relate to people I encounter, or for me to talk about it. What's more important? What's more effective? A quiet, a tranquil life is the byproduct of a believer who is living by grace. God providing him the peace to be at ease in these circumstances. I can communicate on behalf of those who are in control. And I think one of the reasons is it's going to help me to be able to see God's in control of this. Sure, I do think that there is some benefit that the unsafe is going to get. I'm participating with God and what he's doing in the world. But I wonder if a lot of it is about me being able to see God's in control. And I am able to continue to live out this quiet and peaceable life no matter what's going on around me. You see, circumstances should not change who I am. That should make a huge difference when we understand that. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful as believers that uh, we can live out a quiet and peaceable life in this world. Thankful that as we uh, continue to live according to the provisions that you've given, that we can... um, live out our our position and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in us. And as he does the work in us, that we can have peace, we can have joy, we can have all these things that are manifested as a result of the life of your son that you've provided who indwells us. And we can have that life seen out through us. And the world can then see believers who are not out of control, though the world might be out of control. And that makes a huge difference, and we're thankful for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.